Good morning, uh, my name is Emily and I'll be doing second Bible reading taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 13. Uh, you can find this on page 712 of your pew Bibles. The servant of the Lord. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made me mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who, has who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of rulers, Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will, be, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is God's words. Well, friends, we have been working through the book of Isaiah. It seems like uh, words that sound so quaint, and it, it is old. They're written thousands of years ago, but yet they are the words of God. They remain true, and they are words for us as well. And when we come to the word of God each week, we always expect that God will make a change in our lives. His spirit is powerful. His word is true. And so let's pray that that might be so today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that these words, written so long ago, though not written, written specifically about us, they are for us today. And so we know that these words are true. 
We know that your spirit is powerful and we pray that you'll drive these truths deep into us that our lives might be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask whether you have thought about what your mission in life is and do you have one? Do you have a clear purpose in your mind and on your heart? Now, of course, we, are, we don't often speak about it that way. We instead ask, what are you living for? Or who do you want to become? Or what do you want to do? Or what do you hope to do in life? They're such big questions, aren't they? Big, broad questions. How, how do you answer such a question? I mean, from the moment we were all born, it was perhaps the concern of our parents. And for those who are now parents, it's our concern for our children. What do we hope for them to become one day? And that's why in some cultures around uh, the world, uh, there are some interesting traditions that we find. There's a particular tradition we find amongst the Asian culture. It's in the Japanese, amongst the Japanese, the Koreans, the Vietnamese, the Chinese, but also in the Mediterranean, amongst the Maltese culture. It's a, it's a tradition that's called the the first birthday grab. Did you know that tradition? Where when a child turns one, the parents, they'll lay out different objects in front of the, in front of the child and whatever ch the child grabs, that might predict what the child will do in the future. And so if the child grabs a hair, hairbrush, it, it might mean that this child will become a hairdresser. Uh, if the child grabs a book, this child might become a scholar one day. If this child grabs a pen, maybe a lawyer, a stethoscope, a doctor, money, a businessman. And so parents do that as a tradition, a little bit of fun, but often a bit of superstition bound up with that. But what it points out is that from the moment we were born, we are to think, what are you living for? What is your purpose? What will you do with yourself? Will it be worth it? And so let me ask you this morning, what are you living for? What is your mission in life? Is it just to live from paycheck to paycheck, from weekend to weekend, from adventure to adventure, from holiday to holiday, from job to job, from year to year, and that is it? Or is there more than that? Is there more to your life than just that? Well, this morning, as we reflect on this passage, it's good for us every once in a while just to take some time to reflect, to refocus, and to even be challenged. Is what I am living for really worth it in the end? Is what I am living for really what God wants for me? And so as we reflect on Isaiah 49, we meet one called the servant of the Lord. One who had a clear mission on his mind, in his heart. One whose mission perfectly aligns with the vision of God. His heart aligned with God's. And it's his mission in his life that we must understand because it affects our lives today. It's strange, isn't it? Bizarre. Written so long ago, but yet it affects our lives today. And we are to understand his mission so that we would know whether what we're living for is really worth it in the end. And so let's have a look at this 
Let me encourage you once again, keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 49. Now Isaiah 49 begins with words spoken by a mysterious figure. One called the servant of the Lord. Now this passage is known as the servant song. It's in fact the second of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Last week was the first, which speaks of this mysterious servant figure who will do profound, extraordinary things. And so here we meet this mysterious figure once again. But he is in fact God's answer to a hopeless and desperate world. He is in fact God's answer to the desperate situation of the people of God. Remember, this was about uh, 500 something BC. The people of God, they were in exile, they were away from their home. They were without land, without king. Their temple, their place of meeting with God has been destroyed. And they're under the ruthless rule of the Babylonians. I mean, who would like to be plucked out of your home to live in a foreign land? Well, that was them. And so their situation was hopeless. It seemed as though God had forsaken his own people. But of course that was not the case. Throughout the book of Isaiah, as we've been seeing... God always provided, even in the midst of thick darkness, even in the midst of judgment, there was always that glimmer of hope. We saw this in Isaiah 6. The holy seed will be the stump in the land. Everything is burnt. Judgment has come, but yet there is this hope, this stump. Isaiah 7, God promised the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Somehow, sometime, one who will come will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Isaiah 9, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the thickness of uh, judgment, in, in the darkness of, of gloom, there was this glimmer of hope. He'll reign on David's throne. And then Isaiah 40, remember two weeks ago, God promised comfort, comfort my people. God will bring about comfort to his people in distress. And then last week in Isaiah 42, we meet the servant, the first of the servant songs, the one who will have the spirit of God, the one who will bring justice. And so God has not forsaken his people. God will answer his people and will send his servant. And now in Isaiah 49, the servant opens his mouth. The servant speaks. And the servant speaks of his mission. And listen to what he says. See, he summons the entire world to listen. I mean, who's powerful enough to summon the entire world? I speak and I can get my wife and my kids to listen. Not many more will want to listen to me. But he speaks and the whole world must listen, must pay attention because what he says will affect every single soul. And so look at verse 1. The servant speaking, listen to me, you islands, listen to me, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. Now what did he mean by that? You see, he's not doing you know, that, that tradition, that birthday grab, just grabbing an item and predicting what his future might be. Instead, what we see here, even before he was born, 
He was already known by God, appointed by God with a big mission for God. And what will his mission be? Well, if he's going to be God's answer to the hopeless, desperate situation of the people of God, well, you expect him to come with some superpower. You know, like the superheroes, uh, those movies we watch. You know, fly like Superman or, or jump like Spider-Man, something supernatural. What will he do? What will his mission look like? Well, now we read, he will speak. He will speak the words of God. He's like God's secret weapon, concealed in God's quiver, like an arrow that is shot, and when he shoots it, it will pierce hearts, it will divide souls, it will convict lives, it will even bring life. His mission will be a speaking mission. He'll speak the words of God. Look at verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Now as you reflect on that, it should already be hinting to us who this servant might be to have such power just to speak the word of God. And yet somehow we also read now he will display the glory and splendor and majesty of God. I mean, how is that even possible? I thought he was just a servant, a lowly servant, but yet to be invested with such power. You see in verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I'll display my splendor. Such that one day to see the servant is to see something of God. And so this servant entrusted with a big task, with a huge mission. But now we read his mission will not be easy, nor will it be simple. He'll have to expend himself, use up all his strength, and feel like he was all for nothing. Look at verse 4. It won't be easy at all. But I said, I have laboured to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. And so what will he do once he's expended his strength? Will he just throw in the towel, give up on his mission? Well, no, instead he entrusts himself to God. He knows his future is in God's hands. You know, your will be done, not mine. And so verse 4 again, Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. It won't be an easy mission. It will be tough. He'll expend his strength, but he will trust God nonetheless. And now he declares the mission that God has given him. And it is twofold. First, he restored the people of God back to God. And so though, though now you are in exile, you will return to your land. You will return to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, rebuild your lives. You'll be gathered back as the people of God. And so that is promised, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. That is first, to restore back the people of God. But now second... The mission is expanded. It grows. It gets bigger and bigger. And this is where his God-given mission even affects us today. 
because it is to the Gentiles as well. It is worldwide. It is all-encompassing. Every single soul of every single generation. It is so that all people one day might know of the one true God who gave all life, the one who grants forgiveness of sins, the one who grants life, the one who can allow people into heaven, the one who brings salvation. He will come as the light of the world. You see that? Verse 6. His mission is huge. It is worldwide. Verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. You see, it's not just to the people of God now, but I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, do you hear what that is saying? Invested in one servant is worldwide salvation. Who has that power? Who has that type of mission? But yet his mission is worldwide to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so his mission continues to have effect generation after generation after generation, even to us today. And now we see the servant's mission aligns perfectly with God's vision. It wasn't something he decided himself. It wasn't that birthday grab tradition. It, it wasn't like after he was born he thought, well, I'm going to set myself the task of saving the world, of bringing salvation to the world. No, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was God's vision. It was God's appointment. And God now confirms it. And God says, it won't be easy, this big mission to save the world. It won't be easy at all. You'll be despised, you'll be rejected, you'll be scorned. But ultimately, you'll be vindicated. The rulers of the world, princes, kings, queens, they will one day bow their knee to you. And so we see that, verse 7. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who, has, who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And so do you see what we're seeing here? This mysterious servant figure, this servant of the Lord, entrusted by God with the salvation of the world. There's no bigger mission anyone can have. No bigger task anyone can be entrusted with. He's saying here, your soul and my soul is tied to this servant. And he'll be the focal point of any relationship with God. If you want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with God, it will be by this servant of the Lord. And so we see verses 8 to 9 now. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. And what will happen in the end? This salvation that's that this servant brings 
Well, finally, we see the ingathering of all around the world. The light to the Gentiles brings Gentiles in. Gentiles includes you and me, those who are non-Jewish people. And so for those who are not the people of God, we'll become the people of God. And so look at verse 12. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan, which is perhaps from the south. And so you see what that is saying. Those from the Congo, from Nigeria, from Sudan will come in. Those from Canada, from America, from Brazil, from Chile, they will come in. Those from the Mediterranean islands, from Malta, from Greece, they will come in. Those down in Asia, Nepal, Bhutan, they will come in. From Australia, even the ends of the earth, New Zealand, they will come in too. See, it's a promise of salvation that one day salvation will reach the ends of the earth. And so God's vision here is that through this servant who will speak his words, it is a speaking mission. He will set captives free. He will be the light of the world. He will bring the comfort that God promised. Remember those Wonderful words of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. And it'll be this servant who will bring it. And that should result in the entire world rejoicing. And of course you would. And so we read our final verse, verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And so we see here only in 13 verses they carry meaning over centuries, over thousands of years, even till today for us. So rich these words because here in only these few verses we see the Lord's vision so big, the servant's mission so vast. It is worldwide. It is a worldwide enterprise, salvation to the ends of the earth, salvation even now to us. But now we have to ask, well, who is this mysterious servant? Well, on one level, when the people of God were reading the, the words of the prophet, perhaps they could have been thinking it might be Isaiah himself. He did speak the words of God. He was the prophet. Thus says the Lord. He spoke the piercing words of God, words of judgment and salvation. But yet, he didn't really fit the picture perfectly. It, it can hardly be said that he was the light to the Gentiles. Or perhaps during the exile, towards the end of the exile, and they returned to, when they returned to their land, perhaps the people of God were then thinking, well, perhaps his servant was Cyrus, the king of Persia, the one who defeated the Babylonians and allowed the people of God to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their walls, to rebuild their temple, perhaps it's him. Perhaps he's the servant of the Lord. But yet he couldn't really fit the picture perfectly as well. It could be hardly said that he could be described as the covenant of the people. And so you can just imagine the people of God before the exile, during the exile, after the exile, they were waiting, hanging. Where is this servant? 
Who is this servant? Where is this one who will come who will be the light to the Gentiles? Who is this one who will bring salvation to the ends of the earth? Well, who is this servant? Well, the New Testament makes it explicitly clear. It's one of those beautiful passages in Isaiah that you see again and again and again, verse after verse. That is Jesus. That is Jesus. And it is Jesus. And that's why Isaiah is described as the gospel of the Old Testament. Because we, we look at Isaiah and then we meet Jesus. Well, who is Jesus called? Emmanuel, God with us. Why is he God with us? For he is God. And not only that, he comes along, he not only speaks the word of God, God not only gives him words to speak, he is in fact the very word of God in the flesh. You can't get more than the word of God, than the word of God in the flesh. And not only that, to see Jesus. The Apostle John said to see Jesus is to see the glory of God. He claimed, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus, in his life, what did he do? At the temple, he declared, I am the light of the world. But of course, his mission wasn't easy, was it? I mean, we, we see in Isaiah 40, 49, it's not meant to be easy. He'll be despised and, and rejected. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus himself. At the last supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus is saying, I am the covenant of the people. I am the meeting point between you and God. I am the one through whom you must come to to have a relationship with God. I am the covenant. In the Garden of Gethsemane, remember that story with sweats of blood. He pleads to his father, take this cup away. But then what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. I entrust myself to you. Your mission, your vision, O Lord, be done, not mine. And so what happened? Well, he was rejected, despised by men, spat on, whipped, and flogged and even crucified. He expended his strength all used up, gave up his life. And it seemed like it was all lost. But what happened? Well, what happened was that salvation flowed from the cross to the world. That center point in all of human history on the cross, salvation flowed to the world. The hope of the world that the people of God were waiting centuries for came when God the Son came into the world and gave up his life. And so you cannot read this servant song, Isaiah 49, and not see that it was all pointing forward to, looking forward to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so if we are to understand this passage correctly, it means that the mission of Jesus was so big and so vast it means that the mission of Jesus is so that you and I, even today, can be saved. We are included in the mission of Jesus. It's in fact what we confess when we recite the words of the Nicene Creed. Do you, do you know the words? The Nicene Creed. It is for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. That was his mission. 
And so we see here, the servant's mission is the Lord's vision, fulfilled in Christ, but it continues today in us. The work continues. For how else will salvation reach the ends of the earth? And that was why Jesus appointed his 12 disciples, gave them the task to go out to proclaim the good news. And they got that wonderful privilege of joining in the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus extends to them because they were incorporated in the mission of salvation. And that's how the apostles understood Isaiah 49. They quoted from Isaiah 49 a few times to speak of their mission, how they understood what they were living for. You know how I asked you at the beginning, what's your purpose in life? What's your mission? Well, the apostles, they knew with crystal clarity. It is a speaking mission. It is a speaking mission, a mission of speaking the words of God about the Son of God. That is how salvation will reach the ends of the earth. In our first reading, Acts 13, it ran the story. Paul and Barnabas, they've gone to the Jews, they shared with the Jews, they rejected him, and so they said, well, we will go to the Gentiles. We will be a light to the Gentiles. And they quoted Isaiah 49. They said, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may be, bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, what's interesting, do you note there? In Isaiah 49, when, when we read, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that was speaking about the servant of the Lord. But now the apostles, they apply that to themselves. We are also the light of the Gentiles. You see, it was the mission of the servant of the Lord, which now becomes the mission of the disciples. And again, in 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul, he quotes from Isaiah 49. 2 Corinthians, we read this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, it's the message, it's the words. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. The mission of Christ becomes ours. And then Paul goes on to quote Isaiah 49. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, in the day, and in the day of salvation I help you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. He quotes there from Isaiah 49. As the message of Christ goes forth, people are being saved. Which of course means it applies even this very day. The mission of Jesus was to come for you. That you might be saved. That was his mission. And if you have been coming for a while, and, or even if you are new, and you don't yet know where you stand before God. You don't yet know whether you are assured of your salvation. You do not yet know if today I die, whether I'll be in heaven or not. Well, today can be your day of salvation. It is always true today. Jesus came, died for you, so that God will not take account of your sins. It's poured on Christ. You can be reconciled to God today. Believe and today is the day of salvation for you. 
And if that is you, let me encourage you and urge you, do speak to me or one of the elders. But for the rest of us who are already believers, like I asked at the beginning, what are you living for? What is your mission in life? Of course we all have different aspirations and that is okay. God has given us a mind and desires and God has given us a heart to live. We all have different aspirations. But what greater than this? Joining in on the mission of Christ that he was entrusted with. What joy and privilege that we can share in that to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's how I, a few years back when I just started here, how I explained our task as youth leaders to our youth group. Our task is, is not our mission, it's not what we choose, what we decide, but we get the great privilege of joining in on the mission of Christ. A mission that will have eternal significance. I mean, just have a think, a little reflection on all your work you do at the moment, all the stuff you're invested in. How much of that will last beyond the grave? How much of that will have eternal significance? I used to be an engineer. I could build a bridge. I could do this and that. And that is good for this world. It is good in loving our community, in serving our neighbour. But will I see that bridge in heaven? But if I proclaim Christ and souls are saved, then that soul is in heaven. We proclaim Christ and lives will be saved for eternity. I mean, that was how each one of us was saved in the first place, wasn't it? Because someone took it upon themselves to join in the mission of Christ. It's why we continue to meet each week, because we're on mission. It's why we're running Holiday Club, because we're on mission. We want to make a difference, an eternal difference, souls saved. It was how the Presbyterian denomination started off in the first place. Do you know how it started? It was started by a guy called John Knox, a Scottish guy. Presbyterian, the, the church is a Scottish church, though it's not very Scottish today, which is brilliant because it's the incoming of the Gentiles. And it's a beautiful picture. But anyway, John Knox. He lived a life a little bit like that servant in Isaiah. Didn't have it that easy for, for his whole life. In fact, he served as a galley slave on a French ship, Notre Dame, for many years. But later, he managed to flee to Geneva, sat under the teaching of John Calvin. And then when he came back to Scotland, he was so convicted. How do we reach the world? It is by the faithful preaching of the gospel. And he famously prayed the words. I'm not sure if you know it. He prayed the words to God, Give me Scotland or I die. You know those words? You see, he was committed to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth, at least to his home country, to Scotland. He was committed to the preaching of the gospel, to be a shining light in a dark world. He knew his mission. He knew what he was living for. He was not going to waste it away. And in every generation, there are men and women who make it their mission to join in the mission of Christ. This last week, I, I read a little bit about Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great preacher, that Welsh preacher. 
he likewise knew what he was living for. Now, if you know his story, it's extraordinary. He was a physician, a brilliant physician, in fact. He uh, became a doctor at quite a young age. He obtained his MD, that is your doctor of medicine, at only 25 years of age from London University. And what did he do? This is Lord Jones. What did he do? He gave that up. He went into ministry, became a minister, and he became one of the most brilliant preachers of last century. Served at Westminster Chapel for about 30 years, but he was a brilliant doctor in his early life. And often his parishioners would ask him, why would you give that up? I mean, it's a good profession, being a doctor, a physician. Why would you give us such a good profession? You might give up some other jobs, so why that? And what did he say? He said this. I'll quote it at length. Ah, well, if you knew more about the work of a doctor, you would understand. We but spend most of our time rendering people fit to go back to their sin. I saw men on their sick beds. I spoke to them of their immortal souls. They promised grand things. Then they got better and back they went to their old sin. I saw us helping these men to sin and I decided that I would do no more of it. I want to heal souls. If a man has a diseased body and his soul is all right, he is all right to the end. But a man with a healthy body and a diseased soul is all right for 60 years or so and then he has to face all eternity of hell. Ah, yes, we have sometimes to give up those which are good for that which is the best of all, the joy of salvation and newness of life. I mean, he knew what he was living for, didn't he? He saw the mission of Christ and he said, I want to join that mission. Last week we heard of the, the missionary couple, the Canavans from PNG. I don't know about you, but I was so thrilled to hear of their, their work in PNG. How extraordinary. They've committed 32 years already. That might sound like a lifetime for some of us. But he got translated. Alan, the New Testament, a third of the Old Testament. And that work will outlive their lives. What's 32 years compared to souls saved for eternity and I'm sure in heaven there will be many souls saved because of their work and so what are you living for watch your mission in life Christ has come for us and if I want to make my life count for something that will last into eternity then like the Apostles like John Knox like Martin Lloyd-Jones like so many, those who brought us to faith, should not our heart, the heart of our mission, be the mission of Christ, to see salvation reach the ends of the earth. Let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, how great your wisdom to ordain things as they have been, as they are and how they will be that through your servant, your dear son, and his proclamation of the gospel,
that salvation will one day reach the ends of the earth. We pray that this morning you'll continue to convict our hearts of the great joy it is to join in the mission of Christ. Align our hearts with yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.